Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number four of the Spiraling Podcast. I am your host, Jackson Wallace, and today we're joined by a very special guest. Harold Boggs is a licensed therapist at the Houston Center for Christian Counseling. It is also Jason's sponsor. Harold, welcome to the show. We also have here uh, Jason, as always. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing great. Things have gotten very busy, uh, which is, uh, is good news. Yes, yes. Good. Uh, busy. Good, I hope. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, well, yeah, I think we're just going to we're very excited. You're, you're our first guest. It's just been me and Jason on the past couple of episodes, and we are thrilled to have somebody else here with us um, just so we can kind of pick your brain a little bit kind of about our about some different topics. Um but I, I was actually curious. I was hoping maybe you can give our listeners a little bit about your history and uh, your current credentials. Yes, I um, uh, graduated from Portland State. Uh, well, let me let me start at the beginning and uh, kind of give you an overview of uh, how how my recovery has gone. I'm a person in recovery. Okay. And I'm grateful to God for every day of my recovery. Um, I passed the 11,000 day mark some months ago, and um, oh, every day of that's a gift from God. Uh, so the story begins, the, the important part of the story begins uh, when I was 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, I was molested by my older half brother. Oh my! Uh, we lived in the same household. I, I, I knew him as my brother, and uh, that uh, that molestation, sexual molestation, stopped when I was eleven because he went in the navy, and uh, wow. I kept it a secret. Uh, I didn't know who to tell. When a child goes through something like that, it's very confusing for the child because uh, you look up to your older brother, uh, but at the same time, you know this is wrong, but some of it feels good. So it's it sets up what's called cognitive dissonance, and it's very difficult for uh, for kids. So I just kept it a secret. And um, when I uh, turned 20, I started drinking, and the drinking was uh, heavy drinking. I had to keep the lid on that jar of shame. Uh, so that continued. I was depressed. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know where to go with the story of being molested, and uh, so that continued 20 years. When I turned 40. A friend of mine from high school died. Oh, wow. And the light bulb finally came on, and uh, I decided to quit my drinking and drug drugging. Uh, I was experimenting with drugs, and uh, uh, I realized how dangerous it was, it was, so I quit everything cold turkey. Now, I don't recommend that for people who are drinking daily. I wasn't drinking daily at the time. Okay. But when I started drinking, I couldn't... Uh, uh, predict where it would stop so that indicates a dependency and uh 
so when people are drinking daily and they stop cold turkey, they can have a seizure and actually die. I lost a client in, in 2011 that way. So uh, hardly anybody knows that. So if you know someone that's drinking daily and they want to quit, tell them not to stop cold turkey. So uh, I quit and uh, my recovery has three big parts. Part one is stopping. It's very important to completely stop after you've crossed that line and you've become dependent. Uh, Part two of recovery is to learn how to stay stopped, and that's 20 times as hard as stopping because of my selfishness and my pride. And the best way I know of to level the pride and get some humility and stop the selfishness and get some empathy back is working the 12 steps. They were borrowed from the Bible in 1935. So wow. they uh, wandered into uh, an AA meeting and uh, found someone to guide me through. This was up in the Northwest and I worked the steps and um, with his guidance. So I worked steps one through 11 and that's 49% of the program. Then uh, part three of my recovery is step 12. I reached back to help someone newer in the program work their steps. That's when my steps clicked in, not until. So that's part three of the program. That's step 12. And we have a motto. We only get to keep what we give away. Interesting. So that's, that's an overview of my uh, my program, my recovery. Uh, that was uh, I started that uh, December twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. So as of now, uh, I have over eleven thousand days, and uh, uh, it's every one of those is a gift from God. So with my uh, recovery, uh, I also uh, well I lost a marriage. I'm sorry. Uh, and that uh, that often occurs after recovery begins. It's so uh, so complicated. But I also uh, took that opportunity to go back to college, finish my bachelor's, go for my master's and become a family therapist formally because I'd worked in a volunteer capacity in the state prisons and I mean in the state hospitals, mental hospitals and in in many church settings. Yeah. But uh, I formalized it by getting a license in marriage and family therapy and a, and a certification as a drug counselor and my LPC license, licensed professional counselor. Um, and so that uh, uh, that's where I work now full time. Um, and uh, I'm 72, but the uh, you I don't, don't look 72, I, my friend. You look I don't quite young. Tiring anytime soon. Wow, that's a that's a powerful story. What a, what an introduction! Thank you for sharing that with us, um, uh, Jason. Uh, just a quick question for you: How did you uh, get to meet this this wonderful gentleman? Uh, many many years ago, um, here well probably seven eight years ago now. 
Yes. Yeah. So um, throughout my throughout my addiction and um, um, alcohol abuse, um, I tried to stop several times um, throughout the years. And um, the one thing that that I've always um, uh, really loved about Harold was every time that I would say I'm going to stop, he was there to help me. And it really provided me encouragement to say, uh, you know, when I finally decided to to stop and say, I'm I'm done, um, you know, Harold was there to welcome me back, welcome me back into the program. And um, this this last time just clicked. And, you know, I've gone two years now um, and I, I do not have any urges. And I know one thing that Harold always tells me is uh, when I stop having the urges, that's that's when it's most dangerous. Um, that's because yeah. Satan will come in and, and try to tempt me. Um, but to be honest with you, I I, I don't have any of those temptations. Um, you know, my my wife can have drinks in front of me. It doesn't bother me. Um, I smell it and it just makes me nauseous. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the one thing that really clicked with me was uh, three months into my sobriety was being diagnosed with cancer. And I contribute my cancer to all the drugs and alcohol that I put in my body over the years. Right. And I think that's what I think that's why it's so easy now. And it's so easy for me to say, you know, drugs, I, I don't need them. Um, alcohol, I don't need it. Uh, well, I, I'm a sugar fiend. <laughs> I always have to have something sweet around me, uh, but that's from that's from the alcohol um, from over the years. But I don't have any. I, I still have dreams every once in a while of drinking or drugging. Um, but I wake up and I'm in reality, and I put my two feet off the bed and say, "Today's a new day, and I'm going to stay sober today." And that's one thing that Harold has taught me throughout the years. Every morning, I still get up, and uh, when I, the first thing I do is say, "God, no matter what happens today, absolutely no alcohol, no drugs, nothing mind-altering." And uh, that's how it's done. We take one day at a time. I can do something for one day that I could never dream of doing long term, and so that's how we take it one day at a time. Sometimes when during a lot of stress, it's one hour at a time. Or yeah. one minute at a time. <laughs> minute by minute. Yeah. You have to, yeah, you have to, when you think about it, 11,000 days, right? Um, yes. For, for you, Harold, that's that's a super long time. If you had, at the, at the beginning of this, is I'm going to go 11,000 days without anything. That's kind of mind-numbing to think about. It's hard to approach to even wrap your head around it. But if you say one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time, you can, it's a lot easier to get through it. Um, wow. And, uh, incredibly and powerful. What Jason and I've talked about many times is staying alert because while we're in recovery, right. The enemy is out there in the parking lot doing push-ups, getting stronger, waiting for an opening. And uh, there, my sponsor told me this early on. He said a number of really great things. The main thing that he said to me that helped me the most is, Harold, your drinking is a search for God at the wrong address. That 
really helped me. He also said, look out for overconfidence. The enemy's going to speak up and say to you at some point, hey, look at you. You've arrived. You've got this thing. You can you can test it out. You can drink right. just that. Yeah. And and then if and I said so that hit me at the five year mark I didn't know when it was coming but my sponsor got me prepared for it so yes at the five year mark my and the enemy said to me look at you 60 months without a drink a drug nothing just you you ought to celebrate you ought to test it out drink a little bit you can handle it trust me yeah so I said no to that. I was looking for it coming. So, uh, so he he wasn't defeated though. He goes around the side door, and and says, "Well, okay, you don't you don't drink, you don't test it out, but at least you don't have to keep working with those knucklehead new guys, and you don't need to be talking to your sponsor all the time, and you don't need to go to so many meetings. You can put up your feet and coast a while. You can relax." And that sounded pretty good. A couple of days turned into a couple of weeks like that. Well, luckily, my friends in the program said, looked around, where's Harold? We need him in here. Came and got me by the by the collar, pulled me back in and said, look, we need to work you with we need you to work with these new guys and got me. They saved my life. They got because, you back into uh, it. Yeah. I have a friend of a friend who uh, uh, has he had. 22 years and the the enemy voice said hey you don't need so many meetings now you've arrived and so he quit going to meetings and he quit doing the things that keep us in the program sure and within six months he not only drank again wrecked his car lost his job lost his house lost his family he was living in his mom's basement this is all within six months. Wow. After 22 years of solid recovery, they found him dead with a needle in his arm. He, wow. he didn't even use drugs before, but he died. That's how quick it can turn. Over. So the enemy is vigilant and he is patient. So we've got to keep our guard up. That's that's my method, my my message for everybody. Wow, that's a uh, that's a powerful message, especially when you when you when you, when you tell that story of twenty two years of, uh, of of in recovery and then how fast it can turn. You know, we, we blink an eye and six months is gone. Um, that's it. So that's so that's. Um, that's absolutely crazy. Um, I do have another question, though, for you. It is uh, what kinds of because, you know, you're practicing, you've been practicing for a while um, at the Houston Center for Christian Counseling. What kinds of addictions are you seeing on a daily basis? Well, the uh, uh, mostly I see uh, compulsive sexual behavior. Really? Here's what we're finding, that if there's a drug problem or an alcohol problem, 90% of the time behind that is secret sexual sin. And uh, that 
in what I'm beginning to see is that's really the basis. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of pain pill addiction. Yeah. The and it's so easy because the doctors, the doctors haven't warned us. Well, they the doctors have been lied to by the big pharmaceutical companies, and then they've passed that lie along. They've been deceived. They're deceiving their patients, and the 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 way it works is we take the pills exactly the way the doctor said to, and. Mm-hmm. When we have physical pain, we take the medications and the pain eats up the medications. Then after the pain subsides, the doctor forgets to mention that we should taper down on the pain pills. So we keep taking the medications and the medications also work on emotional pain. That's Um. when we've crossed the line and we become dependent on the medications because the brain has built into it the automatic... Ability to get used to the chemicals we're putting in there. And after a while, we need the chemicals just to get back up to normal because the yeah. body's developed some tolerance to the to the medication. So the the enemy voice says, Oh, you need more pills to get the same effect. And and uh, we've ended up crossing the line. So I see a lot of people addicted to pain pills, a lot of people who drink too much. <clears throat> it's it's smiled upon in our culture. The government gets a lot of tax dollars from alcohol. But the one of the problems with alcohol is it's dangerous to drink. It's also dangerous to stop. As I mentioned earlier, if a daily drinker stops suddenly cold turkey, he can get a seizure and die. Wow. And so... Uh, there's a lot of danger. And here's a fact. Every day, more people die from alcohol overdose than all the drug overdoses put together. But it's never on the news. <clears throat> Washington, yeah, you don't hear a lot about it. Washington, D.C. wants their tax dollars. So uh, alcohol, drugs, um and after the pain pills, after the prescriptions run out, people buy street drugs. They buy heroin on the street. You never know what's in that. It's not prepared by a pharmacy. Right. There's a lot of heroin addicts. Then the heroin addicts want to get off of their heroin, so they take Suboxone at a Suboxone clinic. That's very difficult to get off of, although it's not as quite as dangerous as heroin because it keeps... <laughs> Um, so it's just multiple things that feed one another sure. and an attack by the enemy. <clears throat> uh, the, I've, I've, I get to talk to a lot of people who believe in God and it seems to me that people who believe in God have extra temptation because the enemy, the enemy doesn't like believers he hates God and he hates believers, so he wants to take believers out. So that's a factor, also. Right. Uh, Which... Also, I see people who do a lot of gambling, okay. and uh, some people, like my dad, who bless rest his soul, um, he was addicted to rage. Rage gives you a definite high. And, oh, wow, that's interesting. I haven't so heard he of that. Quit drinking. He drank like a fish, but when he never got recovery. When he quit drinking, he would rage. 
and uh, my folks divorced when I was 12, and that was a significant factor in that. I was relieved when they got divorced because the war zone stopped. Yeah. Both mom and my dad had rage. It was it was awful. Wow. Which one? Uh, you just spoke. You, you spoke about a lot of different kinds of addiction. Which one concerns you the most? If you had to pick. Well, it's the secret sexual sin. Okay. Uh, that that one is. Oh, and I I forgot to mention food addictions. Oh yeah. With alcohol or drugs, we can completely stop. And that's really an important part of my recovery is total abstinence. But what do we do when we're addicted to, when we're medicating our emotions with food? We can't completely stop. Right. And so uh, that calls for a special type of approach, special treatment, where we learn to think about food differently. It's very difficult. And here is the bottom line. Food addiction problems, eating disorders, are the most fatal addictions of all. Yeah. There's 15% mortality rate with, uh, with food addictions. So that concerns me the most. Um, the and there's also a factor with all addiction and recovery that uh, there's quite a high suicide rate. And so I'm an expert in suicide prevention. So that's very worrisome too. Uh, heart disease is on the decline, and cancer treatments are really great. But when it comes to suicide, that's on the rise, and that's wow. a, that's a big worry. Yeah, that that's that, that's definitely troubling. Um, I also know that you uh, you treat uh, PTSD. Yes. Um, we when we think of that, we think of the most common. We think of that in the military. Um, but what other incidents can cause this, and and how do you help somebody that's been through that? Uh, that's a terrific question. Uh, Post traumatic stress disorder (PTSD) is uh, the label. <clears throat> that we use when uh, someone's been through a traumatic event, yeah. like that bomb that went off in uh, that factory that exploded in Houston several months ago. I've had several clients with PTSD from that. That's a one-time event. Yeah. I've many clients who were in a terrible car wreck and now they have a lot of stress and tension when they drive that's ptsd um in the military people have ptsd from being blown up uh right. or being shot um now there's a uh, a new diagnosis, even newer than PTSD. It's so new that it's in not in the new diagnostic manual, the DSM-5. Uh, you can go on the internet and look up all these diagnoses and get a lot of great information about the DSM-5 diagnostic DSM statistic manual five. Okay. Um, but there's a new diagnosis called complex. PTSD. Uh, complex PTSD is the type of situation that I lived through being molested at ages eight and nine 
10 and 11, uh, dozens and dozens of incidents that were stressful and confusing. Um, <clears throat> so that's complex PTSD. And uh, fortunately, the same solutions fit all these various stressors. And that is to, that's a, it's well to really summarize it in one sentence. It's developing a closer walk with God. Step 11, the 12 step says, I, through prayer and meditation, I increased my conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Right. So the that is the solution to learn about God and then learn to walk with God. And that uh, there are many ways to do that. Um, one of the best ways is the 12 step program. It's been adopted and adapted for use with people with gambling problems, drug problems. Uh, we've got marijuana anonymous, overeaters anonymous, alcoholics yeah. anonymous, um, and uh, um, all all kinds of different uh, adaptations of the 12 steps. But the whole idea is to turn your life over to God. And uh, there's some terrific videos out there on the internet on YouTube called I Am Second. And it's little seven-minute yeah. stories about people who've turned their lives over to God, and they tell their story in a very brief uh, video. Terrific. Yep. Terrific to watch that. I've seen a lot of different commercials. I am second, especially when I watch. I'm a big fan of the NFL. And so whenever I watch uh, those games, I see a lot of those commercials, especially coming up during halftime or, you know, the first quarter break. Uh, but you speak. But speaking of I am second and turning your life over to God, I know that was a big part in Jason's recovery. Um and, yeah. um, and and his keys to success. Um, so how do you, when, when it comes to the counseling and turning yourself over to God, and Jason, maybe you can weigh on this a little bit, how do you in, inject that into your counseling services, Harold? And maybe, Jason, you can speak about your experiences with with that too, with your counseling. That's great. Do you want to... Do you want to weigh in on that, Jason? Sure, yeah. So the, the, the first thing that I had to realize, and it's part of the 12 steps, um, is, is completely surrendering surrendering yourself to God. Uh, what that means is you, you give up everything, um, your day-to-day um, actions, your, your thoughts, everything you give it up to God and put it in God's hands. Um, once you completely surrender yourself to God is whenever the healing process starts. Um, and the recovery actually begins. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, until you can, you can have that relationship with God. Um, you're you're going to be tempted by Satan. Um, I've, I've shared with you guys some of my tribulations over the last couple of weeks with with family issues, but you know I, I'm tempted every day. I'm tempted with with. 
loss of family members, loss of family friends. Um, kids might have cancer. It, 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 it just, right. it's, it's nonstop. And what I contribute to that is it's Satan tempting me. But, you know, what I've said for the last year and a half, two years since I was diagnosed with the cancer, I completely turned my, turned my life over to God. And that is what has allowed me to continue to walk on the path of sobriety and say, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drug. Um, I'm, I'm going to continue to, to be righteous. Does it mean I, I don't have issues with my wife? Yeah, we, we argue, we fight. Um, any couple that lives and works together 24-7 is going to have those issues. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I love my family. Um, I love myself and I love God. Um, to put God first is is what really matters. That's a good way of putting it, Jace. Um, the, the first step of the 12 steps says, I admitted, we admitted that we were powerless over our compulsive behaviors, that our lives were unmanageable. Which to me means once I start drinking, I can't predict where it'll stop. So that's unmanageability and that's powerlessness. Um, step two says, came to believe that a power greater than us could restore us to sanity. And step three says, we made a decision to turn our wills and our lives over to the care of God. Mm-hmm. So that that forms the the beginning of recovery, and uh, uh, step eleven, as I said earlier, is where we uh, use prayer and meditation to increase our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. So the program is really all about God. It's all about also observing yourself. And uh, the step four is an inventory where we observe ourselves and we take stock of where we are, where we're going. Uh, That's a very important step. It stops a lot of people. It's difficult. But uh, we we help you through it. We help one another through it. Yeah. Uh, step great. five is where we admit our wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to another person. And then uh, step six, seven, eight, and nine is where we make amends to people we've harmed. Very important to get our integrity back and make amends and make up for what we've done. Yeah. Uh, Step 11 is more closeness with God. And then step 12 is where we pass this along and we help other people, newer people, through their 12 steps. So that's that's what I do uh, both in the office and in public. I do a lot of public service. I still go to meetings. That's where I find new people that I can help. And uh, our motto is we only get to keep what we give away. I want to keep it. So I continually give it away. Now, let me talk a little bit about the center where I work. It's called the Houston Center for Christian Counseling. Please. It's the most fantastic place I've ever worked. It is really something. Uh, Now, we do not force religion on anyone. My assignment is to come alongside people where they are and help them with their next step. 
So I have I see people who are Muslim, who are atheist, who uh, Buddhist, people religions from all over the world. I see Christians, uh, people who have uh, completely turned their back on the church. They feel hurt by the church, um, and uh, it's so I meet them where they are, really listen carefully, and then help them with their next step. Uh, for people that don't want anything to do with God, recovery is available to them too, because what we're talking about with that step one, that uh, we're powerless over our tendency to do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. our comp- behavior, every one of us has this part that is self-sabotage. And uh, I call it the enemy voice, but it doesn't matter what we call it. We've all got it. We're stuck with it as long as we're in this human form. And we've got to learn to deal with it. We've got to learn to talk to it, in my opinion. And uh, so we can end the self-sabotage. Like Jason was saying before, we are not perfect. But what we watch for is progress progress not perfection and as long as we're making progress see with recovery you're either moving uh, backwards or you're moving forward there are no standing still and so to move forward we got to be making progress and we always work on our conscious contact we've got to work we've got to become our best self, learn how to stop self-sabotaging. That's very, very important. Because part of what I was doing for those 20 years of my drinking and drugging, I was punishing myself. I knew what I had done as a child was wrong. And so I found ways to punish myself, the drinking, the drugging, leading a double life. I was one guy by night and a different guy by day. And uh, that just doesn't fly. That is destined to fall apart. Being double-minded is what the Bible calls it. Living a double life is what I called it. Now I can be the same guy all the time. I have my integrity back. I've made my amends and I continue to make living amends to people I've harmed. And uh, it's it's a it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can really tell the the passion that you have, especially the way your eyes lit up when you started talking about um, the Houston Center for Christian Counseling. You just, your eyes went up you, and you, it tells me you truly believe that what you guys do there is great. And I and I, I fully believe it. And, and I can appreciate um, the passion. I can appreciate the uh, wanting to pay it forward. Um, but what is the first counseling session like with, with somebody brand new? What are your goals in that initial counseling session? What can and what can a person expect from that? Well, I have two things in mind when I'm uh, working with a new person. Okay. Uh, first is to get to know them and really listen. Yeah. Very few people are really listened to these days. It's almost a lost art. Uh, so I listen to their story. I take notes and uh, um and I let them know, I self-disclose. And it's controversial. Some counselors do, some don't. But I've found it's really, really necessary. Uh, I'm not shy about uh, recovery any 
anymore. And I'm not shy about my story. I'm not embarrassed. Um, it uh, It's one of the stepping stones. The, uh, the suffering that I went through yeah. uh, really led me to uh, before being a family therapist, I was in real estate and I ran a farm with my brothers and uh, we we grew food. We fed people and I helped people find homes. Those aren't those aren't bad jobs. Right. But uh, God really had a lot better for me. And once I got into recovery, I could recognize, wow, I'm I'm not supposed to be in real estate. I'm supposed to help people, especially kids. And one of the best ways I've found to help kids is to help families. You know, um, a week has 168 hours in it. And so if I'm helping a child, I thought about being a child psychologist, but if I'm helping a child one out of 168 hours, that will have some beneficial effect. But if I can help his parents, I'm helping all 168 hours. Yeah. So it's a good way to look at it. So the first session, I get to know them, and then I self-disclose and help them understand what recovery looks like and how all of that works. And so uh, uh, I try to paint a picture of what recovery is about and um, try to help them know that they are not alone. A lot of people feel uh, very uh, shameful and uh, they feel very alone. And so you try to chase away those feelings and help them know that there is hope. There is hope. Hope is super important. Who's super important? Me and Jason were talking about that in, in a couple episodes ago. Jason, what was your first session like with Harold? Oh, I had a lot of first sessions with Harold. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the very first one. Then. Yeah, it was um, probably a blur, wasn't it, Jason? It was a blur. I don't remember a whole lot of it. Um, to be honest with you, the first session, um, I was probably intoxicated. Um, there were a lot of a lot of sessions that I went in uh, to talk to Harold and, and ask Harold for help. Um, I, I, I remember one instance, uh, there was a, um, an evening that you met me at the office about 11 o'clock that at night. <clears throat> and, um, I asked you to come out to my, to my car with me and I unloaded, um, bottle after bottle after bottle. Do you remember that Harold? Yes, <laughs> I do. And so does my, <laughs> so does my boss. Yeah, uh, I had put those bottles in the fridge so that we can find some use for them. The next morning, my boss, who's in recovery, <laughs> yeah. to, to say that, uh, found those bottles in there and he thought, what is this? <laughs> I can only imagine look on his face. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that that's probably one of my most memorable um restarts into the program was uh, giving up all my liquor. Um, But I've got to acknowledge, Jason, you kept coming back and that took a lot of courage, a lot of courage and it paid off. It did pay off. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, even as recently as a a year ago, um, you know, you and I had the conversation about my pain medicine 
and I was honestly worried about the pain medicine because, uh, you know, being a cancer patient and being in pain, um, it's an unlimited supply. Uh, you ask for it, they give it to you. And um, that that was a hard time um, is getting off the pain meds and coping with uh, with my cancer. So. And you and Kristen work on that as a team. Yeah. You uh, see, the problem when we take our pain meds or when we drink is that it it uh, causes a little brain fog, and sometimes we can't remember whether we've taken our medications or taken how many drinks we've had. So uh, it's important to work as a team. My wife and I work as a team. You two work as a team. That's that's really great. Yeah, and I, I've gotten over the, um, the pain medication, and I only take it when I absolutely have to. Um, I've, I've gone into using other, other things to manage the pain, but the pain medicine itself, um, you know, it makes you angry. Um, and it, it, you're talking about rage, and it, it really causes rage within you. Uh, yeah, yeah, Kristen's over here shaking her head. Yeah, <laughs> giving that affirmation. Hi, Kristen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that that's that's one thing that I really had to had to stop. And you know, I, I don't think I was fully addicted to it, um, but I could tell that if I continued on it, it was going to be a problem. And I yeah, was going one back of the, on that road. One of the guidelines is if the if whatever you're using is causing a personality change, that's a signal. That's a signal. Watch out. So good for you, Jason. Yeah. So. Yep. Very good. Very good. Uh, Jason, what's the what has been the best advice you've ever received from Harold? One day at a time. Because I use that. Uh, anybody that I talk to that is uh, that's entering their journey uh, into recovery is take it one day at a time. And yeah, it was a long time um, for me to admit to Kristen that I can go without having a drink again. Um, and sometimes she still asks me, and I'm like, you know, it's one day at a time. And that was my response to her. She, she would ask me, are you ever going to have a drink again? And I would say, I don't know. I'm going to take it one day at a time. And that's, uh, that is something that you, you think about. I'm never going to do something again. That's a lot of weight on your shoulders to say you're never going to do something again. But if you take it into perspective and say, I'm going to take it one day at a time, it's a lot easier to manage. Yeah, I can do something for one day that I could never do long term. Yeah. Um, so the and the other thing that I see a lot is the biggest help. <clears throat> the second biggest help is staying away from the bad crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, that was all three of my brothers. I got into recovery. They didn't really want recovery. And so I tried for a couple of years to uh, show them that there are many advantages, but they they just laughed at me. So uh, I had to step back and say, uh, look, I'm going to love you guys from a distance. I still love them. God loves them. But as long as they're drinking, drugging, doing petty crime, going in and out of jail. Uh, several years ago, uh, when he was still living, of course, so I got a, 
I got an email about my oldest brother, uh, my perpetrator. He had gotten arrested again. He was in a jail in Tampa, Florida, age 71. Wow. You know, that's just knucklehead. Um, so uh, I, I keep trying to show them the advantages of recovery, but... Uh, uh, they're they're not going to listen. So I had to I had to love them from a distance. Yeah, you, you've got to stay away from the bad crowd. I do anyway. That's very that's very brave of you um, to be able to be that self aware to understand like, hey, my own family isn't good for me right now. I need to step away yeah. from them. It's very yeah. very brave. Um, shows a lot of yeah. self awareness uh, there. It's sad. It's sad. Well, yeah. I think working in the field helps. Uh, that I get to see where um, uh, being around knucklehead family members can really be stressful. Yeah. And, uh, so we've got to we got to get some distance, protect ourselves, and uh, protect our kids. Really, they a lot of people say, "Oh, you can't get in recovery for other people." Well, I disagree. You can do things for your kids that that really gives me a lot of energy. And yes. uh, so, yeah, it has eventually we have to do it for ourselves. We can also do it for people we love. Yeah, it gives you it's another type of motivation. Um, That's right. Doing, some, doing something for your kids. And like you said before, like, you know, it's it, you are the sum of the people you surround yourself with. You know, if uh, you surround yourself with smart and bright and brilliant people, you're going to get a little bit smarter. Surround yourself with some knuckleheads and you might tend to lean towards some knucklehead activities. Absolutely. Putting it bluntly. Misery loves company. One, one of the one of the things that Harold told uh, told my wife, Kristen, was if I was going to continue to drink and drug that um, she can pack a bag and set it on the front porch and I can find somewhere else to stay. And I'll tell you, after after going through that a couple of times and staying in a hotel for a week or two, um, you really put things into perspective and say, you know, I, I don't want to be alone. I want my family. And if I can't do this for myself, you know, do it for your family. And, um, you know, at first, at first for me, it was doing it for my family. Uh, because I, I didn't want to lose my family. I love my family. Um, but then uh, as time went on and things happened in my life, I started doing it for myself. Yeah. And I, I just don't want to be sick anymore. Um, I have so much more energy now and clarity on, on life um, when I'm not intoxicated. So, yeah, for sure. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. It really was a pleasure having Harold on. We're going to have this because this episode was so long. We're going to split this into two parts. So what you just heard was part number one. Part number two is going to come out next week. Guys, just a reminder. You can listen to us and find us where all podcasts can be heard. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. We also upload to YouTube all the time. All these episodes go to YouTube.com slash Spiraling Ministries and you'll be able to find us there. Um, thank you guys so much for giving us a listen. Uh, be sure to leave a comment down in the section below and we appreciate your listen. Thank you so, so much. Bye-bye.